This is an AMI podcast. Our voices, our stories, our community. Listen to AMI audio podcasts highlighting news, stories, and information relevant to people with disabilities across Canada. Learn more at ami.ca slash audio. This episode contains coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. On a crisp mid-autumn night, I was sitting outside mulling over Holly Bartlett's case. I'd been trying not to think about it too much after sundown. Most evenings I would anyway, but on this particular night, I was consumed. As I replayed the details in my mind, everything we knew for certain, something struck me. Why did Paul Fraser stop his car outside Kencrest after he said he dropped Holly off? Why did he stop there? I'm Maggie Rahr, and this is What Happened to Holly Bartlett. Holly Bartlett was found unconscious under the McKay Bridge after a night out with her friends. The initial police investigation was wrapped up really quickly. Drunk, blind girl, case closed. It's hard not knowing. She was laying underneath the bridge for five hours, freezing, with broken bones. Why would you get a cab ride home where it's safe Yeah, and then make this walk to here? It doesn't make any sense. And this has become one case that was never solved, and it should have been. I'm telling you, that did not happen because she chose to go there. I promise to you. I will, to the, my dying breath, no, she didn't do that. Somebody put her there. I really would like to know what happened to Holly. Somebody knows. Episode 6, Tenacity. When Tom joined the team, he asked me to stop all lines of inquiries. No more interview requests, no more hunting people down. It meant halting every question I'd been pursuing, firstly with the taxi company. I wanted to know what Paul Fraser's typical work week looked like. Most cabbies who work nights follow a predictable schedule. You work midnight to 6 in the morning, or 11 to 4 a.m., or mornings or middays, weekdays or weekends. If we could establish a typical schedule for Paul Fraser, it might be telling to learn whether or not he picked up another fare, as he told Rob Gordon he had, after he claimed to drop Holly off at home. I contacted the owner of the taxi company Paul Fraser had worked for then, thinking that he'd have no problem discussing it with me, since this particular driver no longer worked for him. I emailed him, called him, left voicemails, but I never managed to reach him. I also wanted to locate the bus driver. I'd found and messaged more than 75 Halifax Transit bus drivers, contacted them individually to try to find the man who was driving the number seven bus that night. But I had a name and an address where I had reason to believe he still lived. I handed it over to Tom. We gave Tom everything we had, the results of all of our interviews, any research, everything. After all, he was the one who had the experience and the access required to conduct an encompassing investigation. And in order for him to do so, we had to get out of the way. It wouldn't do anyone any good if there were multiple calls and requests where he would have better luck setting out on his own. But none of this kept me from thinking over the case, or worse, obsessing over it. On that cool October night, as soon as the thought struck me that Paul Fraser must have stopped on Kencrest that March night in 2010 for a reason, I texted Tom Martin. Why there, I asked him. He wrote back right away, and his answer was the same as mine. 
So we decided to meet up to go over it together. Okay, so, Tom, I texted you at like 8.30 um, on a Wednesday night, I think, uh, about a week ago. Yep. Because out of nowhere, it struck me that the location where the taxi driver stopped after dropping Holly off and then leaving the parking lot when he was spotted on the footage from the number seven bus. The bus, yeah. It just struck through me like a bolt of lightning that that was not a coincidence. The location was chosen. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to come here with you to kind of go over that and talk about why. Tom and I are driving down to Kencrest again. It's overcast and there's rain spitting on and off. So. Well, if I remember correctly, he was in front of this building. Okay. Ms. We don't have a spot. It was either here or right there, right? Okay, well, let's do the best we can with what we got. Okay, cool. And then we'll pull in right here. Okay, great. We park around the corner from where Paul Fraser's taxi was seen on the number seven bus footage the night of Friday, March 26th, 2010. Because if he's just parked around the corner, yeah. his view was going to be pretty much the same. Right. Okay, so... But whether it was here, the location we're in, or a little bit behind us on Kencrest, yep. there are a few certain things, right? Which is the viewpoint. Yeah. So he can see the entry points to the abutment from this side, right? Um, I don't know if he can see the entry points. He can see the access routes. Yes. The other uh, component is, again, looking at all the angles. He could have been taking a break. Um, he could have had a call here. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we hopefully will get to find out. Um, but we also have to take into account the fact that Holly was just down over this hill in front of us. Yeah. To the right. Now, if, and I'm stretching if, this driver observed Holly fall, go down over this, this embankment behind yeah. this address, that would be a great spot to sit to see what happened? If she comes back out this side, heading back to home. Yeah. Um, that's another possibility. I mean, so we have him taking a break. We have him uh, picking up a fare here. We have him looking to see if Holly walks back up after taking this fall. He does say she took a fall. Yeah, he did. But. When I talked to him, he said he had a vision of her falling. Yeah, I mean, well, that's even stranger. That's even more bizarre. You're damn right it is. Um, and it seems like there's a little bit of... A little tidbit of a fact that we know in almost every interaction with him verbally. There's a tidbit that comes out that we know, yes, she fell. She, she fell down here. That's for sure. Um... I doubt very much she ever fell up there. Yeah. I, I don't put any stock in that whatsoever. Um, so you're talking about like adjacent truths to what he said? 
uh, break it down. That there's some truth in each of the versions, each of his versions that he's delivered. Yeah. Have there's something of the truth in each of them. I think, yeah, I, I, I do believe that. I, I, I don't think Mr. Fraser has given the full truth yet. Well, I doubt that very much. Every time he talks, a little something comes out that we know to be fact. And a good example of that is Holly fell. Yes, she did fall. She had a hell of a fall. Um, so you think that that injury was sustained by a fall? Um, if it's too soon and you're I'm leaning. I'm leaning that way. I'm mm -hmm. not a pathologist, but after speaking with a pathologist, it's not limited to a fall and it's not limited to an assault. Uh, after looking at uh, the autopsy and, and reading through the autopsy and going through the autopsy photographs, it looks like a fall to me, a fairly serious fall, but not one fall. Um, it's like it's like not, you know, the police version as she as she went to the top of the ramp and then and then fell down. I, this is not from one incident like that. This is from a series of incidents. Yeah. And, and the injuries line up with that too. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, if he's sitting here, and if something did happen around here, and if he did see her fall down there, this is a great spot to sit to see if she walks back up here because that's the route she'd be going if she was going home. Exactly. Now, it's even better if he's parked in front of the building because he's not in the open like we are. Yeah. He'd be tucked around the corner, but yet he'd still have that field of view where he could see her going back up Northridge. What about the parking lot? In Brian's notes, he talked about when he was down here with a taxi driver that when Brian went to pull into yeah. the parking lot that goes behind Kencrest, that he slammed his hands on the dash. He had a, he had a physical reaction to it. Exactly. Yeah. So let's say just, you know, brainstorming here mm -hmm. that for whatever reason, he was around back in the parking lot with Holly it also makes sense that if something took place down there, that he might pause on his way back out. To see if she comes out the other side. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite possible. And and, and the, the, the almost visceral reaction that very telling. the taxi driver had, um, it's it's not normal. It's not what you would expect. I mean, well, there's 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 more there. Yeah, there's something there that he reacted to, and and uh, I know that back in those days, if there was a problem with a fare, if there was a problem with uh, payment or something like that, taxi drivers would often pull the cab over and lock all the doors. Really? Yeah, I've heard that from a few taxi drivers. And what do you mean, like if somebody's threatening not to pay or whatever? Yeah, or if there's a, a suggestion that they're not going to pay or whatever. And I mean, that would freak whoever the hell out, you know, a young woman in the vehicle. Holly was very, very good at almost counting streets without being able to see. Yes, exactly. If you were coming up here, and if she wanted to go down to a certain address on Kencrest, and if you drove past Kencrest, she knew exactly she where she was. You drove past there. Yeah. 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 But no, that's I. I can see three reasons off the top of my head for him to stop here. Okay, go ahead. I know that, like I, like I told them, told you, they're, they're, he's, he's taking a break, and you just happen to park there. We can't 
rule it out even though we can put it down very very low on the on the scale he's picking up a fare here which is something we'll be able to confirm or absolutely dismiss. through the records um he's sitting here because he's not through with whatever happened on his last fare waiting to see if she's okay and she walks back up through here those are the only three reasons i can think which would mean he witnessed whatever happened during this fall. Something happened and he's waiting to see what happens next. Well, if she comes out of it. Yeah. Or is she still there? Yeah. Um, and those are the only reasons I can think of. Tom, he didn't stop here to have a break. I, I, I don't disagree with you, Maggie, but I have to consider everything that my mind can conjure up. I know. And I got to look at them and then we, we put them on a scale. You rule it out when you can. And we put them on a scale and we say, is this probable? First off, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Is it probable? Hell no. It's not probable at all. Anyone with a lick of common sense would know that. But um, you got to get at those. It. You have to honestly look at it. Those records. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said. Because say, if there was a call. Mm -hmm that he picked up here, again, I'm going to say, it, borrowing your words, possible, yes, probable, less likely. Yep. Oh, yeah. But let's say, okay, he's in the area, he gets a call at Kencrest, then we, we'll be able to track his movements, right? And if he, and um, where he went next. Yeah, and, and we'll be able to track whichever calls he went to next. And the biggest thing to me is, did he continue working? Yeah, exactly. Or did he call it a night after that? Um, I'd put money on last call. Yeah, and I also have to confirm whether or not he was in the habit of taking credit cards or if he did not take credit cards. Because that, it almost sets the stage. I know. It almost sets the stage and when we talk about... Because she didn't like to use cash. She didn't And we have her cash. friend Shelly saying... she didn't have cash. Like even, even you know, in a, a moment where there were fewer factors at play, not late, not out drinking. She preferred to use her credit card. Yep. We know that. Yep. And at the time, it was definitely a common issue. I don't drive, so I know this for myself. The taxi drivers would say, oh, the machines are down or whatever, mm -hmm. because they wanted cash. Mm -hmm. And I can see her, again, we're getting into huge, you know. Speculation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is presumptive, but from what we know about Holly, I can see that conversation not going over well. No, and this is where victimology comes in. One of the foundations of Tom's investigation is called victimology. The rainy day Tom and I met at the intersection of Northridge and Kencrest to go over what might have happened that night and why Paul Fraser stopped where he did, Tom was already knee-deep in his own investigation He'd been reaching out to everyone who knew Holly well, including Peter, to interview them about who she was, how she behaved, and how she might respond in certain situations. After we drove away from the site in his truck and said goodbye, Tom launched back into his work. It would be a couple of weeks before we'd hear from him. As soon as he was ready, the three of us, Tom, Peter, and I, got together. So victimology is just a study into why someone is a victim. We look at their personality, we look at their background. It's a study of the victim. What I learned about Holly that surprised me was how 
fiercely independent she was, extremely independent. And she would defend that independence when she felt it was being infringed upon. I'm reminded of the story Andrew Seeley told us about the night he called to check in on Holly when it got late and she hadn't yet come home and how badly that conversation went. Tom continues. You know, we're all the same. We all have good points, we all have bad points. So it's important that we try to get a cross-section of everything. We're looking at the person and any interaction they may have had with persons or persons unknown that may have contributed to whatever happened to them. And the information that is taken into a report like this comes from those that knew them best, mm -hmm. family and friends, close friends. When I was doing this victimology on, on Holly Bartlett, I found it very, very challenging. And I think why is because no matter how well-planned and deliberate uh, Holly was and had to be every single day of her life, I also have to keep in mind the fact that Holly was a person without sight. And I haven't done a victimology on a person without sight. And it changes a lot of things. There's a lot of things have to be taken into consideration, have to be taken into mind. Uh, a person without sight going downtown drinking. My initial thoughts on that were, holy shit. I've learned that there's really no difference between anyone else going out for a few drinks or a blind person going out for a few drinks, so long as they're at the skill level that Holly is. Exactly. Holly was. This is crucial. In his entire career as a homicide investigator, Tom had never studied a victim who was blind. In fact, he knew almost nothing about what life was like for a blind person. But it didn't take him long to learn just how capable Holly was. What I'll be concentrated on, on in this section is going to be her personality, okay. her independence, her opinions, general beliefs, feelings, and values. Holly loved to engage. During interviews with family and friends, you know, we asked if, if Holly Bartlett was opinionated. Hmm. The overall answer is an absolute yes. Yeah. So... On the right side, I want you to put opinionated, please. She had no problem taking a stance and holding it. Right. She mm -hmm. would hold her own. Holly was extremely protective of her own independence. And if that independence was challenged or interpreted by her as being challenged, the offender was quick to find out how effectively and definitively Holly would handle such a situation. Yeah. So she would react. And it was quick. Another thing that really pissed her off was that someone treated her like an invalid. Understandably. Mm. Yes. I'm of the opinion that Holly Bartlett's independence was one of the most sacred components of her life. Mm. That's a beautiful way to put that. Well, I believe it was monumental to Holly that nothing ever encroach. Yeah, a priority. Or in her opinion, in her opinion is the key phrase here. Right. Violate that. Right. This was the core of who she was. She was law-abiding. She was a, a productive member of society. Yeah. And she was educated, smart, accomplished, responsible, structured, and goal-oriented. She had to have that independence in order to have all those other qualities. Without it, she wouldn't. And I don't think anyone would ever argue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd agree with every one of those words, wouldn't you? Very much so. Okay, so let's look at the other side of the coin. She was opinionated. She was stubborn. She could be sarcastic. Mm -hmm. She had a quick wit, and this woman would not back down. What I look at is on the left-hand side, we have all of the components that made Holly Bartlett who she was. Yeah. And on the right-hand side... Are the results of those characteristics. Yes. I find it ironic that the one component of Holly Bartlett's personality that many would admire the most is the one component that caused me the most concern. Which is? 
Her sense of independence coupled with being stubborn, sarcastic, and not backing down, standing up for herself, being very opinionated, had caused hurt to people in her past. Right. And probably had to her fam some family members as well, if right. not all of them. Right. From the interviews I've conducted, I asked almost everyone these following questions. How would Holly react if someone was to take something from her, like her purse, or if she thought someone stole from her? The answers that I got back were almost uniform. unanimous. Yeah. She would hit them. She would not let it happen. There would be an altercation. She was very strong-willed. She would protest. These are honest answers from people who knew Holly best. Yes. I do believe that very high probability exists that given any interactions of a negative nature with any person, specifically an unknown person, Holly Bartlett would not back down. Whether or not Holly had been consuming alcohol, she would confront the situation. The fact that Holly was as strong as she was, I find it very paradoxical that the traits which made her almost formidable could also be those that made her a victim. This is a sensitive, complicated matter, and I worry about language that might stray into victim blaming. But this isn't at the core of Tom's study. He interviewed those closest to Holly to determine categorically the likelihood of causes of death. So to summarize, my categories for Holly, victim of a suicide, low. Victim of a natural death, uh, very low, obviously. Victim of accidental death, low. Uh, victim of serious bodily harm or death, moderate. Yeah. Just because of who she was. Yeah. Peter? We know that the last person that saw her admitted or knowingly saw her admitted to stealing from her. Yes. And so I've always said that if that's the case, then stuff likely went down. Tom believes that it's unlikely Holly met her end due to accidental death. What he believes is likely is that some harm befell her. After Tom gathered all of these interviews, reviewed everything they'd given him, and absorbed what he'd learned from his meeting with Dr. Marnie Wood, he had to take a step back and look at the full picture to try to put the pieces together and find out, weighing the balance of probabilities, what most likely happened to Holly that night in March of 2010. One afternoon in November, Tom texted me. He'd been reviewing all the videos we'd sent him, and he'd seen something on the CBC's Fifth Estate special about Holly that Rob Gordon had produced. He asked me to scrub through to a tiny moment in the Paul Fraser interview. Listen to it, Tom instructed me, then listen to it again. In the tape, Paul is telling the reporter his story. He picked her up, he dropped her off. The reporter asks Paul, you saw her fall down? Paul's answer, yes, he says, I did know her. I replay the tape over and over and over again. What do you hear, Tom asks. He says he knew her, I answer. Somehow, we had missed this. Reporter, you saw her fall down? Paul, yes, I did know her. After weeks of investigating, Tom is ready. On a cold November day, Marion, Amanda, Peter, and I gather as requested to hear the conclusion of his study. He was ready to tell us what he believes happened to Holly. Here's Marion. I want to know exactly what took place that night. 
Amanda says revisiting that night and this location is never easy. It's always heavy to go back to those days when you're sort of reenacting it in your head. We're standing at the entrance to the parking lot that snakes behind the building at Kencrest. Amanda is drinking a large Tim's coffee, shivering. Her eyes are firm. Marion, too, is staring straight ahead, wearing a resolute expression. Peter's hands are tucked up under the sleeves of his jacket. Tom pulls up in his truck and joins us at the entry to the parking lot. The tension surrounding us is as unmistakable as the chill in the air. The reason why we're here is because I wanted you folks to have a, an idea visually of what we're all talking about and how, how it sort of fits together. One of the things I will say is that this is not fact. This is the result of reviewing the evidence that we have available to us, just putting it all together based on the balance of probabilities. We know the cab came up to this area. Mm -hmm. The one thing about the cab we have to keep in mind is that Holly always paid with credit card. She always made sure that was in place before when the cab was called. Holly didn't call the cab then, mm -hmm. a friend did. So when they get up to this area, I believe that at some point the topic of payment would have come up. Things started to come off the rails a little bit. A lot of cab drivers, they wanted to cash. They didn't want to use credit cards because if they use credit card, they had to claim the income, therefore pay the tax. Mm -hmm. Holly wanted to pay with credit card, period. We follow Tom down the road into the parking lot, beyond which stands the abutment. At some point, some items fell out of Holly's purse. And I think the cane landed on the floor of the cab, most likely. We have two scenarios that come into play for Holly to come out of the cab. First scenario is Holly gets out of the cab on her own. I do believe there's a very high probability that Holly exited that cab very, very quickly. And the reason why I say that is because she didn't have her gloves on. If you look back through the evening, first off, in the victimology, Holly hates cold. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know. She has her gloves on as soon as she goes outside. Her gloves here were in her backpack. When Holly exited that cab, it was on, on the fly. There's a look of strickenness in Amanda's eyes, but she remains composed. Marion stands frozen in steely determination. Tom believes that after an altercation of some kind took place between Holly Bartlett and Paul Fraser in his taxi, one of two things happened. Holly either raced out of the cab or she was forced out. What's the first thing Holly's gonna hear? And it's, it's as obvious as the nose on your face. Holly following her sound cues, which is how she's trained, correct, Peter? Right. There's a good sound cue directly in front of her that she knows if she keeps that on her right, she's heading home. Tom points across the parking lot to the guardrail and the steep hill below it. The problem heading this way, she doesn't have a clue what's in front of her. Holly does not have her cane. You know, she may have been able to hear the echo off of this wall, I don't know. I think she would have. Tom points to the edge of the back of the apartment building wall, where there's a small L shape and a two-foot brick wall aligned with the parking lot and perpendicular to the guardrail. She's in a panic. She's yeah. not wasting any time. Tom theorizes that next, she hears the rushing bridge traffic on her right and bolts forward running, knowing this must be the direction home. But instead, races unknowingly into that two-foot section of brick wall straight ahead. This would explain the serious injury to Holly's mouth. 
From there, Tom surmises, Holly feels her way around the corner using the wall as a guide. At this point, anywhere between here and that wall, I believe is when Holly went down over this edge. We're all standing at the very edge of the parking lot, overlooking the steep brush and rock leading to the fenced-in, locked compound area. Tom has now placed Holly along that steep incline. We have Holly at the fence now, conscious, semi-conscious, dazed, who knows? That's when she's gonna encounter that hole. This catches me off guard. Tom believes Holly did crawl through a hole, even though it's so small she could only just fit through it, and all the while having no idea where she was going. For whatever reason, she goes through it. She made her way over as far as the front of that far embutment, and I think that's where she laid down. That's scenario one. Marion, Amanda, and Peter stand completely still, listening with unbroken, rapt attention on Tom Martin. The second scenario is that the taxi driver pulled her from the backseat and she got away. I believe there's a very high probability that the taxi driver saw Holly fall. The words Paul Fraser said to me on the phone are ringing through my head like an alarm. I have the vision of her falling. There is a high probability the cab driver came back sometime, I'd say early morning of the 28th, put the cane down there, put the $5 bill over there. If he lays the cane here, he gets rid of the cane, it's back into the scene, but it also draws attention, I think, more to the $5 bill, which explains, oh, well, the rest of it blew away, but when she fell here, that's where the rest of the money would have went. The problem with that is it was in her wallet. And where was her wallet found? In the parking lot. Up in front of her apartment building. Because he knew to drive right up, make that loop, come back down, and as he's coming back down on the driver's side, high probability, he chucked it between two cars. Maybe that's what Paul Fraser was doing when his car was logged entering Convoy Towers on the video from the number seven bus. But why wouldn't he just leave the cane there too? Or as Marion points it out, why didn't he just get rid of it, throw it in the harbor? Maybe it slid under the driver's seat in his taxi. Maybe he didn't know it was there until later. Is it possible Paul Fraser placed the cane there on Sunday? Maybe he did it to make it look like she had taken the route behind Kencrest all on her own. And maybe it worked. Until now. Amanda, Marion, and Peter stand in silence, taking in the weight of everything Tom has just told them. It feels like time is suspended. Marion and Amanda walk together to the middle of the parking lot overlooking the guardrail. The harbor on the right, the location where Holly must have exited the cab on the left, and the location where she was found, resting below the steep hill in front of them. The sensation of cold seems to retreat, though there's been no change in the temperature. I can't say for how long they stood there together. As a family, we will never, ever forget what happened. For the Bartlett's, learning what most likely happened to Holly serves as acknowledgement of a truth long overlooked. Now somebody else had done the work and figured out who Holly was and knew that 
in in your the heart of hearts, it could never have happened the way that we were told. It made me feel that I wasn't crazy to think that something different had happened than than what the original theory was. And to confirm that my sister wasn't this drunk idiot who didn't take care of herself, right? Because it's about defending her honor too. It seems clear now that this investigation was kneecapped by discrimination. Holly's blindness blinded the police. But even though the Bartlett's have been delivered an explanation of what might have happened, they are determined to find something greater. I would really like for the cause of Holly's death to be ruled suspicious as opposed to accidental. This may yet be a possibility the first day we met Tom, he told us he believed we had new evidence. He conducted his own thorough investigation. He secured interviews I couldn't, including with the owner of Casino Taxi. He learned that the company did keep records of debit and credit transactions, GPS locations, as well as trip records and call logs. But those records are all gone. However, the owner told Tom, as he recalls, police did obtain Paul Fraser's call logs. This is just one of many discoveries outlined in Tom's final report, spanning 33 investigative findings. He submitted this report to Nova Scotia's chief medical examiner, who could reclassify the manner of death from accidental to suspicious, if there's enough evidence. We waited with bated breath as the weeks drew closer to Christmas and the cold drew itself in. One Friday night, Peter and I meet with Marion in her apartment to go over everything that's happened, to check in, see how she's holding up. This time of year is never easy for a bereaved family, and perhaps this year was made more difficult by the reinvestigation. Marion's laid out a tin of quality street chocolates a telltale sign of the holidays on coffee tables and homes across the Maritimes. Peter and I each have a beer, and Marion has a glass of wine. Hello. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for having us, oh, Marion. To Holly. To Holly. Yes. Cheers. I can't believe it's been six months. Oh my gosh, that's nice. Good. Did you... Could you have imagined that... You, this would still be happening full force six months Absolutely later? Absolutely not. I had no idea what, I really had no idea what this was going to entail six months ago because I didn't ask any questions. I just said, yes, go ahead and do it. That's all. I just thought that would be the end of it. <clears throat> I had no idea how much, um, how much it would have to be involved. I had no idea what the, how, being so much involved, the emotional toll that it would take to continue and not pull the plug. <laughs> because for some reason, I, I really, and you know, you guys might think that I'm really lost my marbles, but for some reason, I do believe that Holly is pushing us along and she wants us now to know what happened, because this will be my last opportunity to find out. If I'm ever going to find out what happened to Holly on that night, this will be my last chance to find out. Marion, is there anything that you 
want to say about the taxi driver? The only thing I'd like to say about the taxi driver, which he knows to be true, is that he's the only one who knows what happened that night. Mm. And I'll leave it just right there. I don't even know if this is okay to ask, but, and you can stop me or tell me to get out of here at any point, <laughs> um, but what would the, the best possible outcome for you be? Um, the, the best outcome for me would be, I, I guess there's two parts to that. I would have two answers to that. Number one would be to find, to find out what actually happened that night, not uh, what the police department assumed happened. The truth, the real truth as to what happened that night. The other part of that would be for the police department to make a public uh, make a public statement, I guess, to say uh, that they really didn't do a good investigation. That'll never happen, but that would be, yeah. Public accountability. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. To, you know, because they, they portrayed Holly at that time and still today as a poor, drunk, blind girl. Mm -hmm. And that's not what happened to Holly that night. I'm so, I was, I've been, I've been convinced of that since a long time, but I am more convinced of it now. After uh, two weeks ago going over uh, behind the apartment building on Kencrest and having, um, having uh, Tom uh, explain it to me, whereas Peter, Peter already knew this because that's his job. He's orientation and mobility. That's his job. Uh, my only job in all of this was I was Holly's mom. I didn't know that she would know that when she was going home, the bridge would be on her right. I just figured that she was smart and she knew which way she was going. Like, right. you, you know, yeah, like, you know, but when Tom explained it like that, you know, if Holly was trying to find her way home and uh, she would know she would take the cue from the bridge, then that just made more sense to me than anything else. Like, you know, at the fact that then I, you know, it dawned on me, well, of course, if she was walking away from her home, she would know the bridge was on her, her left. So, you know, and she was smart. She was smart like that. She really was very, very smart. Peter and I linger for a little while at Marion's table with pictures of Kim, Amanda, and their children, and Holly smiling down, hanging on the walls around us. When we finish our drinks and get up to leave, something catches my eye on a side table in a corner of the room. It's a small figurine of an angel. Carefully placed at its feet are six little triangles wrapped in green foil. Chocolates from the Quality Street tin. What are those, I ask Marion, mint? No, she answers, smiling quietly. Hazelnut, Holly's favorite. Peter comes over to look. Have one, Marion offers. Oh no, he says, the doubt and sadness developing in his voice as he looks down at the little memorial. Come on, says Marion. Holly would want you to. That's what they're there for. In this series, we set out to find out what happened to Holly. But maybe the answers, the bigger answers, about Holly's purpose in life were there all along. The biggest thing that I face and that I have absolutely no control over is other people's assumptions about me and other people's 
feelings and insecurities around that. I really try to be understanding about it. Peter says if this had happened to someone else, he has no doubt about how Holly would have reacted. Holly was such a, a great person. If it were me or another one of Holly's friends that an injustice happened to, that she would have been the one leading the charge to get the right answers. Here's Amanda. I mean, you're never gonna get peace with it, but at least someone looked at it and gave Holly the dignity to, to look into further what really truly happened. It's been wonderful to have attention brought to my sister. I want my sister's story to be told for sure, but more for how she lived and how incredible she was and how she continues to inspire people. I want people to remember Holly first and foremost for her tenacity, for what she had gone through growing up. It wasn't easy. She figured it out on her own. Average wasn't good enough, and just getting by wasn't gonna be good enough. And she was loyal, and she was incredible. And her laugh. <laughs> she was confident, confident, sarcastic, funny. Yeah, she was all of that and a whole lot more, all wrapped up in a very tiny little package. But besides that, she was my daughter. Tom Martin's report is in the hands of the Medical Examiner's Service of Nova Scotia. A decision regarding the manner of death and the case itself is yet to be released. To this day, Holly Bartlett's death is considered a fatal accident. This podcast wouldn't have been possible without the generosity and commitment of the Bartlett family. Thank you, Kim, Amanda, and Marion. Maybe after hearing Holly's story, we will have learned to see Holly as Wayne did, not losing focus by seeing only her blindness, but remembering her instead for her tenacity. I'm Maggie Rahr, and this has been What Happened to Holly Bartlett. This podcast is produced by Ocean Entertainment. Our executive producer is Johanna Elliott. Our supervising producer is Jennifer Camo. What Happened to Holly Bartlett is edited by Fabian Melanson and written and hosted by me, Maggie Rahr. Podcast sound design and mix by Village Sound. For accessible media, regional content specialist is Ryan Delahanty. And Andrew Morris is development and production executive. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a review and a rating. And don't forget to subscribe.